Hello, everybody. This is Pastor Dale Walker. I want to welcome you to our leadership podcast. We are looking at how to become leaders that lead like Jesus. I'm excited to have you listening. If you want the notes on this, you can get them at dalewalker.life. There's also a lot of other resources to help you grow in your leadership. Share this with someone if you are blessed. I know you will be. God bless you. Well, hello, everybody, and uh, we are going to be talking about lesson number two in our Foundations for Christian Faith. Uh, What about other religions? A topic that's brought up sometimes in our Alpha Tables. Is Jesus the only way to God? Do you know the answer to that question? What does the Bible say? Let's take a look at this. John 15, 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed, I am the way, the only way. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are on their way to the temple, they run uh, across a man who is needing some healing. And this is what Peter says about who Jesus is. He is the author of life. Salvation is found in no one else, Peter says, for there is no other name given among people by which we must be saved. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. 1 Timothy 2.15 says, For there is only one God and only one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it says, Who shall escape so great a salvation? So what does the Bible say? The Bible absolutely says that Jesus is the only way to the Father. Pretty crazy, isn't it? But we are Christians, believers of the Bible, and we are unequivocally saying, yes, Jesus is the only way to the Father, the only way to heaven. And so what are some reasons for why we can believe? One is because Jesus is who he says he is. And what Jesus said about himself, we know that he is proclaiming himself as the Messiah, as the Son of God. He is worshipped as God. He never prohibited his disciples from worshiping once they knew who he was. He proclaimed himself as God. When we read the accounts of the gospel, I am the bread of life. I am who I say I am. When you see me, you see the Father. The Father and I are one. The Old Testament prophesied about the coming of the Messiah. And Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies 
of the Old Testament through his life, throughout his life, 29 of them on one day alone. He sets himself apart from all other religious teaching. And this is why we can say, this is what Jesus says, who he says he is. Jesus, in what he says and who he says he is, he is proclaiming himself, I am coming from the Father. Now, Muhammad, did he say that about himself? Do the Islamist people, our Muslim friends, concerning Muhammad, do they worship him? No, they do not. Muhammad never proclaimed himself to be God. Islam says that Muhammad is a prophet who points the way to their God, Allah. But Muhammad never proclaimed himself as God. Neither did Buddha. Buddha may have not even believed in God, and he certainly didn't claim to be God. He was somebody who said, I only consider myself a teacher. And so this is much different than some of the other religions about what our God and Savior says who he is. And it's a distinct difference about these other religions. Jesus, in what he has done, not only in who he is, but in what he has done, makes himself distinct. One, we are sinners. We need a Savior. How many of you can testify to the idea that I need a Savior? Why? Because I have sinned. By his grace, we are saved through faith. He supplies the gift of salvation. In Islam, you're going to be weighed against how your obedience was in contrast to your sins. And if your obedience outweighed and outweighs your sins, then you're going to make it. In Christianity, the gift of salvation comes to us completely, unequivocally, 100%. I am saved not because of anything that I have done. I am saved because of what Jesus has done, what he did, who he is, and what he did for me. He supplies the gift of salvation. The only thing I do and the only thing that Christians do is we believe it and we accept it for ourselves. Lord, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. Thank you, Lord, for dying on a cross. Thank you for doing all of the work that would pave the way so that I have access to the Father. My sins are forgiven. I am washed and I am clean, not by anything that I have done, but by what you have done alone. We bring nothing to the table of our own salvation. How many of you can say yes to that? Lord, I bring nothing. Salvation has come by everything that you have done. And I only believe and I accept that free gift of salvation.
And the, the epitome of this salvation, what Jesus has done, is his resurrection. And so the greatest and the most unique event in all of history took place at his salvation, his resurrection, his coming back from the dead. He was laid on a cross, crucified, and three days later rose from the dead. Who else can make that claim? The Bible says that God became man and dwelt among us. God became one of us, was familiar with all of the heartache, all of the temptation, all of the pain. He became one of us. God, who was in Christ, became one of us to walk in the shoes that we walk, to live in the same kind of life that we live in. So in Jesus, we have a Father and a Savior. And because of what He has done, we can come to Him. So what about other religions? What about Islam, the second greatest religion by population? 1.6 billion people who adhere to the teachings of Islam. Christianity, 2.3 billion people, by far the greatest religion by population in the world. Almost one out of every three people on this earth claim the claims of Jesus Christ. Buddhism, almost a billion people who follow Buddha. You also then have Judaism, and you have other religions as well. And what about those other religions? What about those religions who do not make Jesus the center of their teaching? In Jesus, we realize that ultimate truth is found. Again, John 14, 6, Jesus proclaiming, I am the way, the truth and the life. The truth, the expression, the ultimate realization, the ultimate truth found in the claims of Jesus Christ. Now, other religions may have parts of truth that are in it. We would fully accept that there are other religions that have partial truth in it. God reveals himself in his creation. God reveals himself to everyone. Psalms 19, 1 through 4 says, For the heavens declare the glory of God, that the earth is his creation. And in everything about the earth, God is revealing himself. God is showing himself. God is wanting to say, if you see, you will see me everywhere if your eyes are open. How many of you can take a look at the sky? How many of you can take a look at the sunset? How many of you can take a look at some of the beauty in nature and say, wow, well, this is the design of God. Heaven declares 
the glory of God. His creation declares the truth about who he is. God reveals himself. One of the great quotes that we are reading about in our little book, uh, and this is coming from uh, Nikki Gumbel's book called uh, Searching Issues, a quote there by Sir Isaac Newton. Sir Isaac Newton, one of the greatest scientific minds in the history of our earth, uh, the one who... Uh, gave the first truths about what gravity is, said this, in the absence of any other proof, the thumb alone would convince me of God's existence. Can you imagine? I mean, could nature just by evolutionary progression actually come up with a design in and of itself like the thumb? This opposable thumb that allows me to do all the things that I can do. Not just four fingers. They work as a unit. But Sir Isaac Newton said, just the thumb alone proves to me that there is a designer and a creator. Psalms 14.1 says, only the fool says there is no God. Atheism, in taking a look at the entire population of the earth, has a very small percentage of adherence. In single-digit numbers, people are saying, well, there is no God. Why is that? Why is it that atheism actually has very few adherents, even for people who are living lives that are not first world or second world, people who are in third world countries, people who are living in conditions that we would consider uh, not to modern, all have a belief in God every one of them. Romans 1 says, from since the creation of the world. Okay, so let's take a look at that. From the very beginning, from the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly seen. The invisible God is clearly seen in nature. Creation itself is revealing the existence of God. If we would see, if we would be intellectually honest, if we would say, how can this be without a God, then your very heart and spirit will confirm that. The invisible qualities of God have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul says in Romans, nobody will have the excuse of not knowing there is a God. No one will be without excuse. People will not be able to say, well, I didn't know. Here's the thing else. Humans are made in the image of God. 
There is something of the God spark in all of us. It's within each person. We have a conscience. We know right from wrong. Across every culture in this world, we know that people understand murder is wrong. Rape is wrong. Incest is wrong. They know what is right, being kind to your neighbor. They know the golden rule, treat others like you would want to be treated. And so every person in this entire world has this image of God in them. They were made in the image of God. Romans chapter 2 verses 14 and 15 says, Indeed, when the Gentiles who do not know the law still do by nature the things required by the law, they're a law by themselves. We just know. We just know. We know that this is how we're supposed to act. How can that be? If there is no God, how can that knowing of conscience and knowing of right and wrong be in virtually every single one of us? And if we follow that, we know that we live and can live in an orderly, safe community. Even though these Gentiles didn't have the law, didn't live by the law, possibly didn't even know the law, by nature they were following things that are in the law. We all have a hunger for God. How can that be? Ecclesiastes in 3.11, chapter 3 and verse 11 says that eternity is set in the heart of every person. That is a scripture that says every person has eternity as a part of their thoughts. Now, do they let those thoughts come? Do they think about those thoughts? Do they allow those thoughts to be the deep questions of their life? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What do I have to do with this earth? The other thought of saying, I feel like even when my body decays and dies, there is a thought that I will go on and live longer than my body. This is universal. This is in the heart. Eternity is set in the heart of every man. Now, Romans says, are you allowing that to come up in your conscious thought? Or are you suppressing it? Do you intentionally push those thoughts down? And I would say that there are some that do. We all have a, a hunger for God. We are deeply dissatisfied with life. We are deeply dissatisfied by our pursuits that are apart from God. Have you realized that? Does anything else satisfy you? Has materialism or significance? Has fame or fortune? How about popularity or power? And for any of those who have achieved those pinnacles of pursuits, do they feel like they have arrived? Do they feel like somehow, ah, I have found the key to life? In fact, when they have it, 
they realize that it is not all that it was cracked up to be. We know that there is more to life than this. We know that there is more to life. Even when we do have it, we are still hungry. Our appetites cannot be satisfied. Why do I always want more? Why is it that it's never enough? Because it is that which drives us in our pursuit of God. If nothing else satisfies, then there must be something that only God can satisfy. If he was the one that made me, if he was the one that fashioned me, then he is the only one that's going to be able to fulfill the longing of my heart. I have eternity set in my heart. What is going to fill the gap that is in there? Only eternity. Eternity is the only thing, and that only comes from God. And so we have this hunger, each one of us. And even though we have this hunger, we are pursuing, and until we find why and what we're pursuing in its true and authentic form, we will never be satisfied, no matter how much we gain. We find that other religions are pursuing God, but not all of them do. Not all religions are saying that there is even a God. They're saying, some, you're God. Some religions are saying, satisfaction will only come when you have reached the full attainment of yourself. Others are saying, yes, we need to find God. But they both can't be true. They both can't be equally true. They both can't be equally correct. Some religions are going to be closer than the truth than other religions, but none find their full, honest, and authentic, ultimate truth until they find Jesus. And I would just like to share, aren't we blessed? Aren't we blessed that we have found truth and truth has been found by us and we've responded to that truth, that ultimate truth. How blessed we are, how much we have been given how much revelation has come to those who know the Lord, who pursue God in Jesus. We, above all people, are blessed to say, God, the full revelation of who you are has been something that we have discovered, something that we continue to discover. So some religions can be closer to the truth than others. But it's in Christianity that we find ultimate truth when we know who Jesus is. Jesus, Christ, the Son of God, ultimate truth. And the more we know him, the more we know this truth and this revelation that's transformative in our lives. What about those who have never heard of Jesus? Have you ever pondered that question? Well, what about all those other people who have never even heard of the name of Jesus? What about them? Can God be fair? 
Is it going to be possible that if even if they've never heard, how would they get to heaven? Let's talk about that for just a moment. The Bible is practical, isn't it? It's not philosophical. What do I mean by that? It means that the Bible has never set out to try and answer hypotheticals. The what if questions. Well, what if the Bible does not in any way attempt to answer the what if questions? It just shares truth. The Bible is practical. This question, what about people who have never heard about Jesus? Well, it can only be asked by people who have heard of Jesus. Isn't that right? If a person who has never heard of Jesus, they are not going to be the ones who are going to ask, well, I've never heard of Jesus. So it's a, it's a hypothetical question is what I'm saying. God is just. How many of you have come to the realization that God is just? Genesis chapter 18, 25, this is what Abraham says. Will not the judge of all the earth do right? Can we put our faith in a just God? Just, more just, more loving, more kind than we deserve. No one is saved by religious behavior. We trust in God. We love the Lord. We have faith in God. And certainly, Christians above all else are not going to come and be judged because of our behavior. We're not saved because of what we do. It changes our behavior. Our relationship with the Lord does affect our behavior. But it's not our behavior that gets us saved. And we say that about Christianity. Can we also say that about other religions? It's not your behavior that is going to get you saved. It's true of Christianity. Can faith also be applied to other religions? Our faith is what caused us to be saved. Abraham, before there was a Bible and before there was the nation of Israel, believed. What did he believe? The knowledge of God that he had. The revelation of God that he had. The revelation of God that he saw. The revelation of God when he said, Lord, there is something that I believe. And the Bible says he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. Was it a belief in Jesus? It was a belief in God. And he followed that truth. Could it also be said of others, even of other religions, they followed what they knew about God and what God was revealing to them in his creation. Abraham believed in Romans chapter 4, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 2 says, All are justified by faith. All are justified by the faith that we believe in. Luke 18, do you remember the story? Two people came into the temple. One was a tax collector and the other was a Jewish leader. The Jewish leader couldn't even bow his head, believed in God. 
couldn't bow his head, looked over at the tax collector and said, God, I thank you that I'm not like him. Was that man a man of faith? The tax collector, despised, rejected by society, hated and vilified, bowed his head in the temple and said, God, save me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, of those two, who walked away justified? Well, it was the person who recognized, God, I'm not enough. God, I am not able to cover my own sin. And could it be said of other religions, God, I need you. I need you. I need you in my life. And we would propose, yes, that this is true and that others around the world, even who may not know who Jesus is, can have a relationship with God and understand their need for God. And Christians, we're optimistic, aren't we? We are the most optimistic people that there is. We have a great God. We know that we have a great God. We know that we have a God that far surpasses blessings on our life more and much more than we deserve. God poured out a blessing. He opened the windows of heaven and he poured favor and blessing on our life to the point that we cannot even contain it. Psalms 23 says, my cup runs over. And we experience the blessing and the favor and the grace and the mercy of God far more than we deserve, far, far more than we are able to comprehend. And yet we worship him for it. We worship him. We are optimistic. Abraham, when he was talking to God, God gave him the answer and the idea of saying, Abraham, look up into the stars and how many do you count? And I'm telling you, Abraham, your descendants will be more than the stars that are in the heaven. Asked him to think about the sandy shores of beaches and says, how many grains of sand? And he says, Abraham, more than there are grains of sand on the beaches of what you know will be the number of your descendants. I got to tell you, God is going to, surprise us in every way. He says that he wants mercy to triumph over judgment. He is wanting people to come to know him. He is not wanting any to perish. And so I think we're going to be surprised. I pray and I hope we're surprised. Lord, you are better than we've deserved. You are better than we've ever imagined or thought. And so what about people who don't know who Jesus is? I rely on the fact that God is just and true and loving and will do everything he can to win people to say, think of me, seek me with all of your heart and I will be found. So what do we do? How do we respond? We who are Christians, we who love the Lord, what should we do? 
Can I just offer a few thoughts as we close today? I want all of us to understand that we were sinners and we were saved. We didn't bring any of our own righteousness. Nothing that we brought was what caused us to go to heaven. So we're humble and we're sensitive. We know that this is true for everybody. We're humble because it was what God did. We're sensitive because we know that we were once in that place. And so we are all in need of a savior. We're sinners covered by the blood, but anybody on this planet who has lived for any length of time know that I make wrong decisions. We are all in need of a savior. So we're humble and we're sensitive, we're kind. We're not going to be people who share the gospel in a judgmental way. This is good news. This is what God has done. And so we're positive. The second thing, we're sharing the good news of who Jesus is. We're sharing the good news of the gospel. We're not going to be people who say, I am going to thump you with my judgment. I'm going to become uh, eloquent in my arguments about why you are wrong and why I'm right. It's not going to win anybody to the Lord. We're going to be people who know the testimony of the righteousness and the goodness of God. And that's what we get to share. We're a witness of what has happened to us. And number three, we're courageous. We're absolutely unashamed of who Jesus is in our life. This is how the disciples were. Even though the message that they shared was objected to, they were vilified. They knew the message was unpopular. They knew it was going against the grain. It's not so much different than in our society today. But they were fervent. And they were true to the message. And they did not stop. I would share, let that be true of us. There's lots of messages that are being heard in our world today. It brings me comfort because then I would just proclaim and say, then let our message be as loud as any of the other messages. If there's going to be competing messages out there, then why would I be ashamed of trying to share it as clearly and as loudly and as lovingly as I can? And then let God do his work. God is working. God is working in the world today. And what we are doing is we're saying, Lord, how can I partner with you? How can I say yes to what you're doing? How can, Lord, I observe by, my Holy, by the Holy Spirit of God that is within me to say, Lord, who are you working on? And can I join you, Lord, in what your work is on the earth today? So our message is humble, it's positive, and it's courageous, and it's what I pray for you. So yes, Jesus is working. He is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. Amen. Amen. God bless you all. We'll see you later. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Pastor Dale's Leadership Podcast. It is our hope that you have been inspired in a great way. We encourage you to stay tuned for future content. May God bless you richly.